All right, good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? We're, all right, lively bunch. I love it. I love it. All right. Is it about the, is it about the story or is it about the Astros? Be honest. All right. Uh, so people have asked, like, don't we wear Astros jerseys when we're in the World Series? And we have in the past, but the last three times, uh, it didn't exactly work out according to plan. Um, and maybe, I mean, the last two times, definitely not. The first time, it depends on who you ask and how they feel about Trash cans and cheating and stuff. But <laughs> this time we're going to wait. We're going to wait until next Sunday after the Astros win the title. Next Sunday, I'm declaring it, naming it, claiming it. Next Sunday after we take home the title, it's Astros Jersey Day at the story. So, uh, so wear those jerseys, wear that gear to next Sunday services. Uh, but for now, we wait. We wait in anticipation <laughs> to see how this World Series goes. Uh, welcome again to the story, whether you're here in person in, in the museum district or joining us online. Wherever y'all are in the world, I'm so glad you're part of the Stories Online campus today, and uh, you are part of this church, and you're with us in spirit right now, so be sure and check in in those comment sections, whatever platform you're watching on, YouTube, Facebook, or thestory.church. And uh, for everybody here and online, um, it's a big day. Uh, we have so much to celebrate today and so much to be excited about, and, uh, and one of the things I'm most excited about, beyond the, the stuff about you know this new property that God's putting right in front of us, um, this Bethany Church at 3223 Westheimer Road, we've been talking about for the last couple months. Um, uh, I'm going to talk more about that in a minute, but it's really about people that I'm most excited. It's, it's the people God is calling, saving, using, and redeeming. Young people, young people like my friend Derek, my little brother in Christ here. And um, I wanted to share uh, some, I wanted y'all to hear some stories about um, some of the ways God is using and calling and saving people in our, in our congregation. And we have such an amazing group of young people, not just coming to the church, but leading the church. And Derek's going to talk about how he, uh, in, and one of the ways he leads is in a, in a uh, young man's small group. Um, but we have so many young leaders like Derek. I mean, just this morning, Meredith Kirk, one of our young preachers, is preaching over at our Timber Grove campus. That's why they're not watching my face right now. They're watching Meredith's, and they're just blessed by her preaching. Cam Ayala, who, like, three months ago, four months ago, had his leg amputated. Y'all know Cam, who I'm talking about? Cam, who was on the, the Bachelorette one season, and Cam, who's been on the podcast a couple times, usually sits right over here. He is in Dripping Springs, Texas today, preaching the first sermon of his life today, and the first sermon of many. This is what God is doing in our midst, is, is raising up young leaders and young preachers. And so one of the people I wanted y'all to hear from today is Derek Murphy. I've made him stand awkwardly next to me for five minutes, <laughs> the longest introduction ever. But uh, this is not easy, what I've asked Derek to do. Would y'all uh, help me uh, make him feel comfortable by welcoming him to the front? Morning. My name is Derek Murphy, as Pastor Eric introduced me earlier. I'm a junior at Strake Jesuit and a member of the Story Church. I've been going to the student group foundation since about, I want to say, 2018, 2017, 2018. And I started back in the day when it was led by Pastor Eric and Kale, and I've seen the group grow over the years as I have grown up. For me, the story is more than just another Sunday service. It's a community, a family that God has called together, and I see joining the story as a life-changing experience. What I mean by this is I have truly grown closer to Jesus than ever before. I have always grown up with a strong faith base, but it, but it is the story that really taught me how important a relationship with God truly is. I have definitely started taking my faith more seriously. I'm so grateful to God that he has led me to Pastor Eric, Dylan, and many other leaders of the story who have helped me grow as a man. Also, I am super thankful for the high school guys small group that I co-lead. 
I love gathering with these guys to watch football on Sunday nights and talk about what it means to be a man of God. This church has changed the way I look at my faith and life in general, and I thank God for it. So this summer was really just eye-opening for me. On our story, on our student trip to the Dominican Republic, I finally understood the power of prayer and saw that God can do big things when we trust him. Every night we'd pray specific requests about the weather, language barriers, and our interactions with the locals, and every day God answered. God moved all the ways we needed him to. He did it in the DR, and I know he is also doing it here in Houston. Bethany is another example. We serve a God who does big things. I'm so excited to be a part of this next chapter of the story as we follow God's lead into the future. I know that if we pray big prayers and trust God, he will provide us with everything we need. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Sounds like I missed something. <laughs> well done, Derek. Good job, young man. Uh, you know, I just want to encourage Derek to stay open to the, to the call of God. Uh, I have sensed those early days at Foundations class, I've sensed something special brewing in Derek's heart. He was always the first one to ask questions, always the first one to speak in the groups, and now he's leading one of our small groups. Who knows what God is about to do with Derek? So if I sound a little bit extra amped up this morning, just know it's not the coffee. It's not just the coffee. It's not, it's not even the Astros. It is what God is doing in our midst, and not just with a new facility. Um, for many of us, it feels like we just got a new facility, right? You're still getting used to this one uh, since we've been here since January, but this is, as you know, it's been a rental we've got for two years, and now the Lord is providing something even better, uh, something that we will own and uh, own outright within a, a, you know, a matter of several years. It's just incredible to think about what God is doing. All month long, we've been celebrating this Bethany um, uh, acquisition of that church. And it's tempting. It is tempting to make it about the building. It is tempting to make it about the status of the building. It is tempting to make it about the neighborhood the building's in. It's tempting to make it about how it legitimizes this new little church of ours and how it makes us a real church now. It's like a child putting on his daddy's clothes or something and thinking he's a real man. It's tempting to look at it that way. But that's not really what should excite us here. What should excite us here is the potential for impact with young men like Derek. And how many other young Derek's and young women there are as well in this city, in particular in that community where we're going, y'all, the potential for impact is limitless. There's almost 3,000 students at Lamar High School right next door to our future forever home. There are even more waiting for us at the St. John campus. St. John High School is right next door as well. The impact that Dylan Braddock and the student ministries team and all the volunteers involved and all the student leaders involved, the impact that could be made is limitless and it will outlive all of us. It will be a legacy that is multi-generational and that its impact will be greater than any of us can fathom if we will just believe and trust and walk by faith. Now, of course, I am excited about some aspects of the property. I mean, how could you not be? Uh, it's in a great area, of course. It's uh, in a part of Westheimer Road where 27,000-plus cars pass by every day, and we'll soon see a sign that says the Story Church on it. That excites me just a little. 600-plus uh, uh, seat uh, con uh, 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 sanctuary. That's just pristine and beautiful and has stood the test of time. Been there for 75 years. 
a gymnasium that our student ministries will, I'm sure, put to good use. I've also heard from some men who are like, our men's ministry, we're going to get in shape. We have a gym now. We'll see. But I'm sure the students will use it. <laughs> and a playground for the kiddos and a parking lot with over 200 spaces. Amen. Hallelujah. Parking lot of our own. We don't even have a parking lot at all except for the garage we lease that everyone hates up the street. So... <laughs> So it's going to be an absolute game changer from a logistical standpoint, just more space for our ministries to grow. But all of it, all of it is meaningless if we lose focus on what really matters. And what matters isn't the building, it's not the status, it's not the legitimacy, it's not anything other than the impact that God will make through us in this new space that he's providing for us on the people that he wants to save. That's what gets me excited, saving people by the grace of God being used to save lost people, to redeem lost lives, and to have more and more stories like Derek's story and so many others that we could tell today be told. Now, on the other side of all this excitement, I want to acknowledge, honestly, today there is a lot of other emotions, like there's fear, there's anxiety, there's doubt. I'm just talking for me. I don't know about you. It's like, I'm sure some of you have wondered, like, even if we can swing a deal this big, is it what we should do? Is it what God's will really is for the story? Is it something we want to do? Should we just keep renting for the rest of time, you know, and bouncing from one place to another? That sounds like it could work. It could be fun. Do we want to take another path? All these doubts start creeping in my mind, especially at night, I found. I don't know who among us here is more vulnerable to the, you know, there's a little angel on one shoulder and a little devil on the other. I'm a little more vulnerable to the devil's uh, whisperings when I'm tired, exhausted, worn out, can't go to sleep, you know, uh, tossing and turning the devil's in my ear going, are you sure this is God's plan or is this Eric's plan? Is this God's plan or is this man's plan? Are you sure even if it is God's plan, you can swing this? Shouldn't the story just hit pause, just retreat, just settle for something less? Is the story really able, with 10 months of organizational history under its belt, is it really able to swing a deal like this? That's the whispering that I've been tempted to listen to. I can't help at a time like this to think about the Old Testament story of a man named Hosea. Now, Hosea may not sound familiar to you, but you know his story. Hosea served as Moses' assistant for many years, as they wandered through the wilderness, the former slaves in Egypt left Egypt under Moses' leadership, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and Hosea was Moses' right-hand man. And Hosea's name, the name Hosea literally meant Savior. Imagine being named Savior. Like, if you've got any tendency toward being egotistical, <laughs> having a name like Savior probably wouldn't help. Because how tempting would it be to see yourself as your own savior and the savior of others around you? Savior is what Hosea meant. Hosea was one of the 12 spies that Moses sent into the promised land to scout enemy territory, right? Because that was the land God was going to give to the Israelites, these former slaves. By his grace, he was going to give them something bigger and unimaginable to them prior to this. And, and Moses sent these 12 slaves in, and 11 of them came back. Only Caleb came back faithful, but the 11 others, including Hosea, came back and gave this report 
to Moses in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, verses 27, uh, basically through 33. I've, I've uh, skipped around a little bit for brevity, but this is what they reported. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. They brought back some samples, right? But the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Grasshoppers are on record in the Old Testament as being the smallest edible creatures that Jewish people were allowed by law to eat. So this was the tiniest creature that can be consumed, right? So that's how they felt, that small, that insignificant, that vulnerable compared to the great Canaanites and their great cities. Has anything ever felt too huge, insurmountable, undoable that just caused you in fear to just cower before it? Even if you felt like God was calling you to seize the day and take advantage of this opportunity, you still shrunk back because you just felt so small, and that just seemed so big. That's the mindset that these spies came back to Moses with. Now, I'm not sure when it happened, but Hosea didn't stay in that same mentality forever. In the book of Numbers, he's portrayed as just one of 11 other cowards who came back from Canaan unsure, uncertain, and lacking courage, saying it can't be done. Hosea cowered before the greatness of God's vision because as far as he had ever known, he was the Savior. He was all he had. He was his own sort of Lord of his life. But something shifted in Hosea's life, and I'm not sure when, but it might have been the moment that Moses, his mentor, said it's time to grow up, Hosea. And in a, in a symbolic act, Moses changed Hosea's name from Hosea to Joshua. Hosea, meaning Savior. Joshua, meaning our God saves. Maybe it was then that something clicked in Joshua's mind that it's not up to him to have the strength or the size or the capacity to do what God's going to do. God's going to do it. God's going to accomplish what he has promised. All we need to do is get on board with God and understand that God is the one who saves. And that's the moment Joshua turned it all around. Now, Moses died soon after that, and he didn't make it into the promised land. And Joshua was then appointed to succeed um, Moses in leadership. This is what God said to Joshua. In the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verses 2, and then verses 7 through 9, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Listen, story family. Don't be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And in the verses that followed, these promises from God, Joshua 
formerly Hosea, Joshua, our God saves. Joshua led those former slaves across the Jordan River into the promised land that God had in store for the Israelites for his sake and for his purposes. Now, Joshua, as a leader, knew that in order to really enter the land of Canaan, they were going to have to sack some of Canaanites' strongest, most fortified cities like Jericho. And y'all know the famous story that I'm referring to, right? Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. You probably have a song in your head right now. Don't worry. We're not going to sing it or anything. But that's just a very familiar story. But I want us to see that it was more than just a simple song. It was the greatest challenge of, of Joshua's life. The Israelites looked at that city with its great walls around it, and they'd never seen a city like that, much less conquered one. And they all began to doubt and question in their own minds whether this was even possible, whether it could be done. The Israelites felt too small, too new as a community, too weak. They felt a little bit like what I feel like me and others here have felt. Like, is this even possible? That that just looks too huge. It looks like too much. But Joshua took it to God in prayer. And God emboldened Joshua to take this message back to the people. And this is the message I shared with everyone who came to our open houses at Bethany Christian Church over the last couple of weeks. Joshua 3, verse 5. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, the Lord will do something amazing among you. Consecrate yourselves today. For tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things. The message here implied anyway seems to be if you don't consecrate yourselves today, you might miss what God's going to do tomorrow. And this, I think, is a profound message for us in this particular juncture. Because to consecrate yourself is to declare yourself to belong to God, to declare your family and your household to belong to God, to be God's and no one else's, to not be of this world, to, to be holy, set apart, sanctified, to be of God. That's what it means to consecrate something. We usually consecrate buildings. I'm sure one day we'll, by the grace of God, if this deal is sealed, one day we'll consecrate our new home in, uh, at, at Bethany Christian on Westheimer. One day we'll consecrate buildings. We always consecrate Places, but Joshua, God said through Joshua, consecrate yourself, your life. Make sure you and the world around you knows who your God is and who your Savior is and who you look to for support. Make sure that you and others know it's not just about you or about your name, your success, your legitimacy. It's about putting your life in God's hands. And Joshua seems to suggest if you don't, you might miss what holy and amazing things that God's going to do tomorrow. Now, this amazing sort of uh, interaction happens to illustrate this further between Joshua and this mysterious character on a road toward Jericho. And it's, it's pretty clear that this character is an angelic figure. It's, he identifies himself as such, but it kind of freaks Joshua out, and Joshua has questions, as any of us would. But look at how this goes. In Joshua 5, verses 13 to 15, it says, When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, this is a good question, are you for us or for our enemies? 
It's an astute question uh, to ask. Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. So there is another battle happening on some other dimension that Joshua couldn't see. I want you to know there's always another battle happening. It's not about enemies of flesh and blood. We're not in this to, to win over our enemies or our people. It's, it's, it's about God. It's about his kingdom come. So then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. It's holy ground. And Joshua did so. Why was it holy? Because it was just a special geographical spot. No, it's holy because God was there. Wherever God goes, the ground you stand on is holy, sanctified, sacred. It's holy ground wherever God is. It's holy ground right here because God is here with us. It will be holy ground, and it is today because God's with Bethany Church. It'll be holy ground when we get there too because wherever God is, the ground you stand on is holy because he sanctifies and consecrates everything he touches, everyone he touches, everywhere he goes. Take off your sandals, he said, because it's holy ground you're standing on. And Joshua at that moment recognized this isn't about overcoming the Canaanites. This is about bringing the light of God into a dark world, accomplishing God's mission to save lost souls. This is about people and God's plan to save them. Ever since August, which seems like ages ago, but turns out it's just a few months ago, it's when this whole deal with Bethany Christian began to materialize. I still chuckle because it's so outlandish what God has done here with a church like ours, going for a place like Bethany. It began to materialize, and I've been talking to our leaders and to our staff and our members here about this very issue, how we need to consecrate ourselves today so we'll be ready to see and able to see the amazing things that God will do tomorrow. Do not miss the amazing things he'll do tomorrow for lack of consecrating yourself today. And what I mean is if we don't understand that we belong to God and everything we do is for him and of him and because of him, then tomorrow we might fall for the trap of thinking that what really matters is having a nice new church building. And what, really, what we're really here to do is not the mission that God put before us of inspiring non-religious people to follow Jesus. Our mission now is a mortgage. Or our mission is keeping up this building so that we can put up a, a, a good face on Sundays or be you know, respected in that community. You know, if, if we don't consecrate ourselves today, if we get proud, or if we get cynical, or if we get scared, if we call anyone or anything other than God our Savior, we'll miss seeing the amazing things that God is about to do. Because the amazing things, the most amazing things he's about to do have nothing to do with a building or a new gymnasium, or a playground, or even the parking lot, or a bigger sanctuary, it is going to be all about people, human lives, households and families, old people and young people, rich people and poor people, all kinds of people finding faith and meaning and purpose 
and salvation. In the place God is about to plant us, that's what our attempt to purchase Bethany is all about. It is about the potential that a place like that has for a church like this and for a God like ours to save and redeem and restore and send people to make a difference in this world in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus, that name we've been following, Jesus, that uh, those eyes that we look up to during worship, Jesus, the one who saved us, you know his name was also Joshua in Aramaic, Yeshua. It is God who saves. Jesus is the one who saves and will continue to save. And so if we consecrate ourselves today, we'll never have a building that outshines Jesus. We'll never have any other mission that takes precedent over our mission to inspire people to follow Jesus, plain and simple. Now, one of the people whose lives I've seen absolutely touched and turned around by the power of Jesus' name is my friend uh, Reynolds Lawnen. Dr. Reynolds Lawnen isn't just a, a friend and a brother in Christ, and he has been since we started the story over seven years now. Uh, he's also uh, my dentist, actually, <laughs> and um, a great dentist at that. He, has, uh, he will not tell you this, and he'll be mad at me for telling you this, but not only does he treat my family and I, but he has opened his practice up to treat all the staff of the story. Um, I don't want to tell you the deal he's given us because it's going gonna, it's gonna to make me feel guilty for having such a sweet deal with the dentist, and you're all going to try to get the same deal probably, and then Reynolds will be out of business and his pledge will go away. Anyway, I've got this whole series of events. <laughs> the devil's whispering in my ear again. It's incredible what he's done for our staff and, and our, the families of our staff, but without our God who saves, Reynolds uh, would not be with us today. At all. So I've asked Reynolds to come and share a word with us about how God saved him and what the church has meant to him. Would y'all make Reynolds feel more comfortable about coming up here? <laughs> Welcome to the stage. Thank you. Thank you. It, as I realize there are three people who've gotten up here today, and I am a good three inches shorter than both Derek and Eric, it, maybe I'm the Altuve of this team. Um, good morning, everybody. Uh, I have a script because... My attention span is not terribly long, so in an effort to avoid chasing squirrels, I'm going to read from it. Um, otherwise, it'll be a lecture on root canals. Uh, my wife, Brittany, and I have attended the story since the first service uh, in the gym at St. Luke's with a makeshift stage and, I believe, Christmas lights hanging behind it. Um, we were there for the fire. We were there for the buckets when the roof started leaking. We were there for the new building. We've been there when we got kicked out of the new building, and we've been here in this second new building, and we look forward to going to the third new building. Um, we could not be happier to call this place our church home. As we go through for such a time as this, a few members are going to share personal details about why they find it so important to support the story. A couple of weeks ago, Matt talked about seeing God's wisdom in the story's new home. Last week, Laura shared how giving to God has strengthened her trust in him. And today, Derek explained how the story has started to light a fire in his life and put him on a path to be a man of God. While all of those are excellent reasons to support the story, I wanted to share with you a different reason 
on why supporting the church in general, and specifically the story, is so important to me and my family. I'd like to share a date with you all, June 11. That's a date that's changed my life multiple times. Um, first, and my mom is sitting up front, so if you're near her and have tissues, please hand them to her. First, June 11, 2006 is a day I'll never forget. That's the day I sat upstairs in a room at my parents' house and prepared to take my own life. I graduated college, I've been accepted to graduate school, and seemingly had everything going for me. However, I was lost. Depression had grabbed me by the throat. I'd grown up in a religious house, but I didn't believe in God. I thought it was all a bunch of made-up junk. But as I sat there and contemplated the end of my life, I threw up a Hail Mary. For the first time in years, I said a prayer. I said, God, if you're real, you know what I'm planning to do. If you need me around, then stop me. Amen. Less than five minutes later, my mom, the most religious person I know, walked into my room, asked what was wrong, and told me she wasn't leaving. The next day, we started to look for help, but only found closed doors. Therapists, psychiatrists, mental health experts were booked out for months. But when I needed someone the most, God showed up. My parents' church had a pastor who was trained in counseling that dropped everything and started meeting with me the first thing the morning of June 13th. So the day after I called him, he saw me. To give you an idea, if you've never had to deal with pastoral care, they're incredibly busy people. They make your schedule and my schedule look easy. But the willingness of him to drop what he had going on and say, come and meet me first thing in the morning was incredible. As we got to know one another, I learned that he dealt with some of the same issues and concerns that I was having, both about the doubts in God's and the depression and suicidal thoughts. The pastor wasn't the only person who helped me. I need to be clear about that. But when I was at my lowest point, God put him into my life at just the right time. June 11, 2008, two years later, was another day I will always remember. It dawned on me after I said this in the first one, um, I have this thing about relics. I think relics are fascinating. You know, the, the spear and everything. Um, I was probably 500 yards from the relic that is uh, Christ's crown of thorns. And in that location on June 11, 2008, I met my wife. God put her into my life to hold me accountable to make me a better person and as a companion for spiritual growth. While this is my story, I know it'll ring true with many of you listening today. The reality is a few of us have mountaintop conversions. we experience the majesty of God during a high point in our lives, but that isn't the case for many of us. We meet Christ in the valleys of life. Eric talks often about this in his sermons. This is the mission of the story, to be present, available, and willing to help the unengaged, disenfranchised, and apathetic Houstonians who are searching for answers, trying to make sense of life, and looking for their purpose. Many of you have been or are currently that person. I was that person. 
My wife and I choose to support the story with our time, our prayers, and our financial means because we know how, it is, how important it is for church to be ready, willing, and able to create a community for people like me. I ask that you prayerfully consider supporting the story as well. In my mind, it's the most important thing we can do to help our fellow Houstonians. Thank you. Proud of, uh, proud of you, Reynolds, and uh, really glad you're here, brother. Reynolds is uh, one of many stories we could have asked any number of adults to come and share of how God has redeemed, restored, and and set them up to serve him by um, making life a little easier for those around him. That's what Reynolds does. He makes life easier for everyone else around him, not because he's such a great guy, but because he serves such a great God. And uh, that's just the orientation of his life, and he's a good example for us all. Friends, today is the beginning of a new uh, season in this, in this home stretch that we're, that we're on now. We've been in preparation season. We've held like a thousand town hall meetings, it felt like, and um, all kinds of emails that have gone out, lots of information and, and open houses at Bethany. We've, we've concluded the information phase of this little journey we're on. We're going down the home stretch now, and starting today and over the next few Sundays, we're going to be uh, entering into our final uh, push. So this is our commitment season. Um, I changed the name of it from Commitment Sunday to Celebration Sunday because I remembered how commitment-phobic everyone is, but it's still <laughs> Commitment Sunday. And uh, this is where it's time for us to come together as a church. There's folks that have been saved by this God of ours and called to serve him through this church, this amazing church called The Story that I'm so honored to to lead. So this campaign for such a time as this is audacious. Are you ready for a quick number dump? All right. Sorry for this. If you're new here to The Story, just give us another chance next week. But this is inside baseball stuff. Uh, But this campaign is, uh, is an effort through five-year commitments that will be paid out over five years um, to raise $25 million in, uh, in pledges from our community that is officially 10 months old. How insane is that? $25 million, 23 of which covers the, the purchase price of the property, and that is, believe it or not, a discounted rate. The property is worth closer to 40, and we're getting it for 23. That's not why we're doing this, but it certainly makes it possible for us to do this. The last $2 million is for renovations and things like that that we're prepared to do. Now, if you're thinking that is a big number, you are correct. Uh, it is stupid big. It's Jericho big. But our God is bigger. And that's really the common thread that runs throughout both Testaments of Scripture. And no matter how big something might seem, no matter how insurmountable, our God is bigger and greater in his vision. Once he casts it, cannot, cannot be disrupted, cannot be cut off, cannot be lessened or weakened because he is greater than our problems and greater than our limitations. Now, almost no one thought, myself included at times, that a church like ours with our short track record and our size, our budget, our lack of holdings, you know, and all that stuff, No one thought this would be possible, but as of this morning, even before our first uh, Commitment Sunday, we've received over 70 commitments now, totaling over $14 million. So 
before we really are even getting started, we're 56 plus now, 56-ish percent of the way to our goal. How awesome is that? That's amazing. Thank you. Thank God. Truly, thank God. Thank all of you who have already made your commitments known. Thank all of you who are still praying over those commitments, or even those of you that have committed to pray for uh, this season. Um, That means as much as the numbers on the card. All right, and the other thing that really matters isn't just like the dollar number on the card, but it's how many cards come in because that tells us, our leaders, and the banks we're talking to what kind of buy-in this community has. So whether it's a two-digit pledge or three-digit or seven-digit or if you want to be our first eight-digit pledge today, I'm behind you 100%. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, but uh, I'm not going to love you any more than the person with the two-digit pledge, and God won't either. Just know that. Um, but uh, we welcome it nonetheless. <laughs> um, uh, but the point is that we come together as a community because we believe in what God can do and, in fact, is doing in our midst. So the way we're going to close out this service is a little bit different. Everybody should have gotten a, a, a specially printed pledge card commitment card that we printed just for today. This isn't the same as the other ones you've gotten in the mail and stuff. This is... Uh, Front and back, if you did not get one of these when you came in, just do me a favor and just raise your hand real quick. We have volunteers that are uh, stationed in the back. We couldn't catch everybody on the way in, and we're sorry about that. But even if you don't plan to make a commitment today or at all, we still want everyone to have a card because at the end of this service, we're going to serve communion just like always. And we're going to all have something to bring forward with us. And on the back of this card, we have some boxes you can check. Um, that sort of allows for everyone to participate in this process. The first box is we've already made our commitment. Um, The second box is we'll make a commitment, but we still need more time. we got questions or we're figuring out what we can do, and that's great. Uh, we, uh, We are committing to pray for the story. That's the third box, and the fourth one is I'm new here, leave me alone, get out of my face, or something like that. Um, that's also an option. All we would ask is that you would fill out your name and check the appropriate box. If you are submitting your commitment today, the, the box up top in the front of the card is where you share your five-year uh, commitment amount. And after I'm done talking, the band's going to come and play a little song. We're going to have a time where we're just sitting, reflecting, and praying, and filling out those cards um, together. And then Pastor Gio is going to come and lead us in communion. When you come to communion, uh, bring your card with you, and they'll go either in these like harvest baskets that are so beautiful that Pastor Gio prepared. If you come to the outside station, there are these uh, bowls that are on the outsides that uh, your cards can go in as well. Uh, for confidentiality purposes, you want to lay it face down, that's fine. Or if you want to brag and tell, show everybody what you've given, you can do that too and place it face up. Either way, we hope you will bring your card forward with you. And the point of this is to do this as an act of courageous faith. Whatever you do with this card, do it courageously and prayerfully. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. For several weeks through August, September, and even October, some prayer warriors, mostly women, they might have some men with them as well some days, they went around Bethany, kind of like, kind of like uh, Joshua went around Jericho before the walls fell down. And just to be clear, 
If you're here from Bethany today, we weren't hoping that your walls would fall down. We were hoping that our shared enemies' uh, spiritual walls would fall down and we would walk courageously into this new venture God has us on together. And he has come through. Thank God for him. Thank God for all of you. Thank God for the Story Church and for what God is going to do. Consecrate yourselves today. We'll be ready to see what he does tomorrow. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for your miraculous ways with us. We thank you for doing the unexpected time and time again. We thank you for never letting us down, for always outpacing even our wildest expectations of you, and for doing the impossible through us, Lord. Help us to see once and for all, Lord, that we need not doubt you. We need not limit you or be afraid, Lord. All we need to do is walk courageously by faith into this amazing future you have already planned and in store for us. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.